Welcome to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, where your co-hosts, Dale Yuzuki, Cindy Lawley, and Sarantis Klamidis from Olink Proteomics, talk about the intersection of proteomics with genomics for drug target discovery, the application of proteomics to reveal disease biomarkers, and current trends in using proteomics to unlock biological mechanisms. Here we have your hosts, Dale, Cindy, and Sarantis. Welcome to... Proteomics and Proximity. I am Dale Yuzuki, your host, with my two co-hosts, Sarantis and Cindy. Say hi. Hey there. Hello. Hello there. Nice to see you. For our inaugural episode, yes, the very first episode, we'd like to go ahead and have you, the audience, know a little bit more about us. And Sarantis, would you mind going first and telling us a little bit about your background? Yes, 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 thank you. Thank you, Dave. Yes, yes, uh, tell us. <laughs> I just uh, started uh, my bachelor and my PhD in Italy, in South Italy, studying uh, Drosophila genetics and epigenetics. Oh, and that's then, great. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. He's and a pure, a real geneticist. He's a, a real, real geneticist. <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved to Max Planck Institute for Epigenetics in Germany where I joined the lab of uh, Asifactor, the director of the institute, working on chromatin gene regulation and nuclear functions. And this no, is wait a minute. Part. Wait a minute. Yes. Max Planck has a center for epigenetics? Yes, it was immunobiology and epigenetics, and it was, I think, one of the first worldwide okay. nominated like epigenetics institutes, actually. And I was really happy, and I was really lucky, because apart from Asifa, it was Thomas Genovine also there, the famous uh, epigeneticist, Super 3.9, the code, the, let's say, epigenetics code. And it was really, really nice times when the epigenetics was emerging in the gene regulation field. And uh, after staying uh, for quite a long time, scientists... How long's a long time? I, I am more, more, a little bit more than seven years I stayed in my okay. school, actually. And then I joined uh, industry, an active motive for doing... Uh, consultant for epigenetics project. And uh, since December, I am part of the great all-in team as a scientific director for multiomics, where I try to match the proteomics and, and preach the importance of proteomics in the multiomics world. And I'm really glad and happy to see how people, they like proteomics and how multiomics and world is expanding. Yeah. And affairs of the heart. <laughs> right, Sarantis. It's true. It's true. It's true. Also. It's true also. <laughs> the so affairs of the heart. The affairs of the heart. Referring to Cindy. To that he, cardiology, uh, yeah. cardiometabolic, uh, those those that sort of broad umbrella of of disease types that that I think Sarantis has learned a lot about. I see. But so Sarantis, what led you to industry? What made you decide That's to move from academics? That's a great. That's a great question. I just, I'm always asking myself, so what is this? Why this has happened? Yeah, and it's. Uh, I think the motivation and the thing and the let's say uh, the internal uh, question to learn more and to get to know about novel technologies. Uh, I think at the point in the academy, I have reached my topest level, my top level, and I wanted to explore more fields. I want to explore technologies and how this can be applied to the day-by-day -day basis, to the disease areas, right? And I think the OLIC offers me this possibility to apply my basic knowledge in science to application, to translational medicine, and to biomarker discovery. And uh, I can tell you, it's a, it's a great journey already. Well, we're certainly lucky to, lucky to have you, that's for sure. Very lucky the, to have you. Was that a hard it's transition? Lucky to, lucky to have you too. 
Was that a hard transition? <laughs> no, actually, at- not not doing at all. Because uh, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in in industries we are doing science and we are doing the high profile science and uh, we are dealing with high technologies and novel technologies. And it was really smooth. I never actually I feel I never left academy because I'm always reading <laughs> papers. I'm trying to be updated for the novel technologies and discussing with scientists. I'm discussing about projects, and uh, I'm bringing the value. To the scientific life, and that's that's really amazing. It's really exciting. I haven't seen any change in my daily life. That's yes. that's for sure. I see. So, and officially, your title at Olink is a scientific director for proteomics, and I'm also taking care of cardiometabolic uh, diseases. This is uh, yes. yes, yeah, yes. I see. But this is scientific affairs, which is a unique discipline within commercial activities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I'm the, the bridge. Uh, commercial, R&D, marketing. Uh, my goal is to preach about the use of proteomics to the multiomics world and uh, to match the basic research with the translational medicine research. That's that's, yeah. that's my goal, actually. Yeah. And getting back to your work at Max Planck, as well as Active Motif, was the main method of epigenetics looking at uh, 5-methylcytosine, or were you looking at also histone modifications and the whole... I mean, we are we are focusing mainly on histone modifications, transcription mm-hmm. factor bindings. Of course, we have done studies with methylation, uh, but our main focus is histone modification, histone code, accessibility of the chromatin, and how this may interfere with the gene expression, like how this regulate the gene expression. This was the the main focus. And yeah. it's, uh, it's a really nice connection to the to the mechanistic side, you know, of the nucleus, yeah. because you can see accessibility of chromatin and connected to the gene expression. And now coming and from so. the proteins, and now coming from the protein side, you get the real phenotype, right? And that's, yeah, that's a, you get a what class. all of those upstream aspects have affected, yeah. right? Which is exactly what I what I'm attracted to around proteomics as well. That's great. That's, that's well, great. In in all that work around gene expression, was there concern that the relationship between RNA presence or absence, with all that complex epigenetics upstream of that? That connection between the presence of RNA and the actual protein was that ever a, a concern of researchers in terms of that linkage? No, I, I haven't seen a concern, and I don't think that's mm. a concern because it's, of course, it's a question based, a scientific based uh, depends on the scientific question that you have, right? But uh, there's a complementarity. There's a complementarity because you learn different things from proteomics, you learn different things for transcriptomics. They are quite an overlap. Not really nice correlation, not really high correlation, to be correct. But this is normal because this is biology. There is a lot of steps from regulation to translation, to translation, to translation, to protein translation. There's yeah. steps of point transcription regulation for epigenetics or transcriptomics. Uh, but this is also the beauty of science. In order to get a better vision and connect better genetics to phenotypes, I think you have to apply both transcriptomics proteomics and actually you have to apply multiomics approaches right that's that's the really beauty of science well and we've seen we've seen this transition of course from bulk rna as as the technology has evolved from bulk rna sequencing to single cell sequencing which i think is enormously uh, um, helpful in understanding mechanistic biology so i think yeah rna is is Getting at real-time biology, and I think uh, proteomics is as well. Yeah, that's so interesting, that background. Thanks, Single Arantis. cell yeah. is where the entire field is going. And, though I mean, th- there's so much interesting biology to reveal. 
Thank you, Sarantis. I know Thank your you background much, in epigenetics it gives a unique perspective uh, on this particular podcast. Appreciate it. Really it really does. And, yeah, and Cindy, much. what about yourself? So background. Sure. So I, uh, yeah, I did my undergrad in biopsychology. So I thought I'd be in neurology. I thought I'd, I'd work in that field. I think I, um, I somewhere in my in my final year, maybe my junior year, I realized that that the tools were were hard to implement. That there, it was just really hard to uh, to to get at what's happening in the brain, and uh, and so I just started looking around for for what was it about biology that was so fascinating to me? And so I, I actually have a similar background to you. I taught high school for a little bit while I figured that out. And then I went back for evolutionary biology. So I became, um, like gained clarity, I should say, around my fascination with understanding how we reconstruct what's happened in the past to understand um, systems today. And ultimately did my PhD in a, in a biological system in the ocean. So worked for fisheries. Uh, ended up working for fisheries for 10 years. Look, look using genetics as tools. So I, I make the comment about Sarantis being a pure geneticist, right? Because calling me a geneticist when I'm really just using genetics as a tool, um, I, I, you know, I've, I've thought about that a lot. But I guess, I guess we're all... We're all pushing the field forward, right? So wait, when you talk about fisheries, you're talking about places like in Maine or down in Florida? Help or us. Gloucester, right? Or, or the coast of California or uh, wow. yeah, Newfoundland or certainly Iceland, wow. Norway. Yeah, wow. some- so you, your work took you or your research took you to far-flung places. I, yeah, I was, I was uh, really lucky. I was really fortunate. Well- were you then involved in some of the grittier, dirtier aspects of the fisheries industry? By that I mean, I can just imagine. Did I you go know, on boats? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, specifically. That's what yeah, I'm interested I think, in. Uh, I think I, you know, I remember after my after my presentation for my dissertation, somebody said to me, um, "So you just did one cruise?" And I was like, "Oh, I made a mistake. I really should have emphasized how many cruises." I think there were there were eight cruises that that. Uh, that contributed in some way to yeah. the uh, to the final, you know, dissertation. They but, would uh, call it a cruise, literally. We call it a again, cruise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My association with cruises. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we had cruise directors, right? <laughs> so you think about the love boat or some, you know, show when you're a kid and think. But then you're different. collecting samples. Are you collecting samples then in your second? That's sample? right. On yeah, boat, or yeah. but you have it on. Oh, that's so great. both adult samples in some cruises that that was the focus, and so there was actually a lot of scuba. So uh, working off of those NOAA ships, uh, but also larval samples. So it turns out with some of these fish that live that are bottom dwellers, that uh, you can't just collect them uh, as larvae along the bottom. They're actually pelagic. They actually move through the water column uh, as they develop, and then eventually settle into places like kelp beds, uh, depending upon the species. And so we needed to understand their life history. You know, it turns out that, you know, people might not think about this. I didn't before I worked for the fisheries, but the, the burden of demonstrating that we're overfishing 
is on the managers of the fishery. And so collecting the information to demonstrate that is is essential, especially if you want buy-in from the fishermen whose livelihood depends upon being able to have access mm. to those fishery sites. So a big part of my dissertation was looking at marine protected areas and characterizing the scale at which they could help reseed the fishery outside the protected area. Yeah. That's cool. Wow. You've been places. You've seen things. (laughs) So have you. (laughs) You both have, right? I mean, I think I just have to emphasize that Sarantis wins the prize for knowing the most languages in this this group. (laughs) How so? Yeah. Sarantis, how many languages do you know? Only three, only three for the moment, and German yeah. a little bit, and German a little bit, and I apologize again for to my German friends because I, I never managed to pick up German. <laughs> and, I think uh, you're conversational yeah. in, in 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 German at the very least, but yeah. It's yeah, um, well, I gotta so give Sarantis the most languages prize. Good there we go. <laughs> there we go. And I get the most cruises prize, maybe. That's oh, there you go. That's for, Definitely. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> then how did you end up in industry, Cindy? You know, I transitioned to industry. It was a big surprise to me. I, I had been um, suggested for a position at this little company that I thought was probably, you know, it had a lawsuit against it. It was. I had a friend who worked there, this little tiny startup. I, I thought it was tiny, about 150 people. I guess that's mid-sized these days. But uh, And so I, she said, this job would be perfect for you. And I said, I'm really looking for something in academic. And I had an eye, uh, my eye on a couple of uh, postdoc positions along the coast in, in, uh, of, of the U.S. on the West Coast here. And, uh, and I said, well, I'll go interview just um, for the practice and I'll learn a little bit. And I was so blown away by the technology and just the ability to support technology that is a rising tide that lifts all boats. Like that just blew my mind. And it, it felt like an opportunity to learn so much about so many different fields. And I think have, after having been, you, you know what it's like in a PhD, after having had your nose to the grindstone in, in a system and, and learning it to the extent you need to, to be credible in, in getting yeah. that PhD, this was just so different and so... Um, yeah, it's just so awe-inspiring. I, mean, I was really excited about the technology. And Cindy, what was the company? Well, you were there. <laughs> That's why I asked. You didn't tell me what the name of the company is. It was Illumina. It was Illumina, and That's I ended up staying times. for fourteen years. So it was uh, it was such a good such a good time. So such you a joined good time. in the very early days. This That's is two thousand and four. Right. Is that right? Two thousand four. That's right. Yeah, I remember trying to negotiate. You know, you're coming out of a PhD into industry, like you got no, <laughs> nowhere to negotiate from, right? So uh, I was trying to negotiate a little extra time before I started in the position, and I got two weeks from the time I defended my dissertation to the wow. time that I. Uh, I remember my mother and I went to travel in New Mexico. It was a fantastic trip, but yeah, I started. You know, almost right away. It was. It was quite a oh, quite a New Mexico was how you spent those two weeks. Right, right. Yes. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Okay. And yeah. But I was born that, in New Mexico, so Oh, okay. I I'm guessing that there were a lot of uh, DNA sequencing at the time. What was the most weird piece that you were you were sequencing at the time? What was the most weird approach that you had? One of your first, let's say. One of the first projects? 
Yeah. So I'll tell you, one of my first projects was working with Decode Genetics. And so I remember, um, and I, you know, I had no idea the impact they had on, you know, steering or, or anticipating, I should say, uh, you know, where the field might go. They're and very... Francis, to clarify, right? This is before NGS. So at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Illumina yeah, was just that. offering right. genotyping. That's so, right. So it was. Yeah. So uh, 2003, Illumina launched an 1152plex Golden Gate genotyping platform. And then Illumina was able to sew up a lot of the HapMap projects that were going on. And this was, again, after the Genome Project, right? To characterize variation across populations. And thus, Cindy, wait, your first role was, a, was it a project I was, manager? Or? Yeah, I was a project manager within the scientific um, team that delivered data to customers that were sort of testing out the technology in order to determine whether they wanted to invest in a, in a bead lab or a bead array reader. Now, the bead lab was the big genome center you know, offering. Million dollars. Yeah. It was a million dollar sort of limbs, liquid handling system. automation system. Yeah, yeah, it was... You know, I had, n- I had not worked at that scale before, so seeing the number of samples and the number of variants of, within the genome that were queryable at that point was just mind-boggling to me. Yep. And and the person that interviewed me was um, just such a such a a great people person. He just. Uh, listen to all my, you know, objections or all my, you know, you know, uh, questions about the technology. He was so patient, and I thought, you know, I could work for this person. Who and is it, by the way? John Stolpnagel. Oh, okay, one of the yeah. founders of Illumina. <laughs> That's right. He was he was very, um, you know, just a great uh, a great leader, just a great uh, a person to learn from. And for those of you who may not be familiar with the name. He is the principal behind many, many companies after mm-hmm. Illumina. Successful companies. Many successful companies. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I find fascinating, right, is at that time, 1152plex blew people's minds as far as how many genotypes you can get at the time uh, because people were used to. Uh, like mass spec methods, right? From uh, uh, what is that San Diego company that whose name I can't Sequinome. remember? Sequinome, right? Yeah, it was a handful, maybe ten or fifteen snips at a time per sample, and yeah. you go from fifteen at a time to over a thousand, and then of course the first human one genotyping uh, bead chip, which you know I was involved in the development of that, was a hundred and eight thousand. So we go from right one eleven hundred. To 108,000 to the first HapMap chip that was over. Remember, we had a we had the gene chip in between. We had a 10,000 chip in between. Oh, I don't remember. That was gene centric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, and then there was a but HapMap it didn't, chip. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But then really quickly, that 300, the HapMap 300, yep. that was tag based SNP selection. You know, intentional SNP selection to collect additional information beyond just the ones you're querying because you have some understanding of of genomic diversity within the population uh, that quickly overshadowed that gene-centric chip. But I, th- I thought that gene-centric chip, was maybe it was 100,000. Maybe that's the one you're thinking of, too. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, what's interesting is the parallels to today, right? Where uh, our Olinx competitors on the low-plex side, they do 4-plex, they do 10-plex, they do 20-plex. And now Olinx comes out with 96-plex, and then panels of 96, and then 1536, 
and then now 3,000, okay, may not have ramped as quickly due to the inherent challenges, right, of very specific... Complexity of proteins. They have a dynamic range, those little buggers, yeah. Yeah, and it's fascinating to think, well, we're on a similar multiplexing track here, and, right, it's uh, history is prologue. It really yeah. does give us ideas of where the future is. Yeah, and I think we can think about it quite a quite um, similar to genotyping, right? Targeted uh, locations in the genome. It's the, it's a great way to get a, a general view of the whole genome. It's sort of like a satellite view of the genome before sequencing technologies evolved to be so accessible and so affordable. And I think we're. Um, we're we're gonna hopefully we see see these technologies on the on the horizon that may uh, offer a future of next generation proteomics uh, or maybe next next generation proteomics uh, that maybe one day we'll be able to sequence the proteome. I think that that mass spec is beautiful because you can see everything, but you're limited by how much you can push through. So those low abundant proteins are really, really challenging with that technology. So I think that's where we're we're nicely complementary to uh, to existing methods. I mean, here Foreign it is. This, uh, Cindy, how was the transition for how do you see genomics to proteomics? How was this transition actually for you? Yeah, good question. So, um, so I, you know, that that. I got. I was pretty clear about what was motivating to me about the genotyping technology, and then ultimately the sequencing technology. You know, I stuck around, um, you know, holding that tiger by the tail while it, you know, it blew into the Illumina that it is today. Um, and I, I really wanted a way to understand the. Uh, the impact genetics is having on more real-time health. And so I actually had a stint at a company called Metabolon, looking at metabolomics. Now talk about complexity of, of biological pathways, right? And, uh, and I was there until I saw the launch of the NGS readout on the proteomics at Olink. And that NGS readout I, was an aha for me. And I thought, well, I can, I can help with that. And I'm excited about the you know, specificity, you know, the quality of the assay, which I think, I think is, uh, is exciting. Because you want to be able to make discoveries and then drill into those discoveries and focus in on, on individual Absolutely. targets, right? So that's the, that was the attraction. And I actually approached Olink and said, you should hire me. <laughs> so, Just like that. <laughs> so cheeky, right? Never in the in the uh, in a million years would I expect myself to have done that. But I, um, yeah, it, they were they were very amenable. I had a great experience with that, and I will say, working for a Swedish company uh, with a U.S. Um, representation is uh, is a really nice. It, it blends some nice qualities. It's remarkable. Yeah. I, before I joined Illumina in 2003, I was at Kyogen, a German company, for four years representing their commercial efforts. And this is, of course, two, uh, 1999 to 2003, where uh, I saw through the whole genome project from the lens of a sample prep uh, provider for the Human Genome Project. Of course, at the time, Affymetrics had just grown like gangbusters and all this interest in whole genome uh, transcription expression uh, analysis via microarrays. And coming back to a company that's from you know, Northern Europe and 
just the precision you know, in Kaijin is wonderful because the engineering mentality is very much exhibited, right? The precision of their uh, uh, the assay development and the product development. And at Olink, I see shades of that as far as very disciplined approach to uh, accuracy, to the quality of the product. There's a lot of care taken, right? And it's great cross-functional um, collaboration here at the company. Yeah. And I think we all know that the more contribution you get from diverse opinions, the better your product's going to be, provided you also have that discipline to ensure that you've got the specificity. So anyway, it's a... It's a fun, fun ride, Sarantis, I'm curious what you're so ex- what what you're most excited about in the coming year uh, at Olink in your role. I I am really excited to see the data integration of really multiomics data coming true. You know, because we hear a lot of multiomics, we hear a lot of this buzzword multiomics, uh, but we are not still there um, due to different reasons. And I think Olink is offers the perfect tool, being an NGS-based assay mainly, to create this multi-omics approach uh, in life, to bring it in life. And I'm really excited to see projects coming, really multi-omics projects that they have epigenetics, they have transcriptomics, they have proteomics, they have genomics. That will be really the future of, of science. To, to my, to what, my what do you think has held that back so far? Like, why do you think now is the time, right? I, 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 I have this, this sense that we're in an inflection <laughs> point, right? There's this... There's this energy sure. uh, when I go to conferences, yep. for sure. And so I'm curious your your perspective on that, Sarantis. No, it's just I, I'm really happy to have your feedback on that because it's really an open discussion. I would really like to know from mm-hmm. your side, from your perspective, how do you see this? I see that uh, I think that people uh, in regards to proteomics, the main uh, let's say assay was suspect that it was really difficult to break into the multiomics world. I think having an NGS based approach this makes things easier. Uh, in mm. respect, uh, big data, mm-hmm. you know, having uh, expensive experiments, the sequencing is uh, is a quite is not an easy experiment to do. You need the bioinformatics tools. You, you need bioinformatic analysis. You need the specific platforms that they can integrate this data that they are me- that they are not well yeah, advanced. Let's say and they're data really, analysis. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are not so well advanced in the sense that they are really not easy accessible to everybody. In this mm. respect, of course, they're advanced, but not in the science has to be easy accessible to everybody. It has to be easy for everybody at the end. And yeah. we are not there yet for the multiomics approach. But uh, we hope so. Yeah, what do you I think th- from your side then? Yeah, I was just gonna side? say I think I think you touched right on what I what I come across a lot is this analysis piece and having having tools to make those analyses happen where you're integrating these data because some of the platforms allow the data to sit by side by side, but but actually having scripts and tools that are that are bringing those data together in a multi-omics analysis is not trivial. But I think maybe part of the, as you were talking, I was thinking maybe, maybe part of this sense of urgency and excitement is is all that's happened in the UK biobank in the last five years, right? The the exome sequencing, the whole genome sequencing, now the proteomics yeah. that's coming out of the UK biobank. And making those data accessible means that there's a playground for people yeah. to advance their skills to integrate yeah. those tools and, it's, and uh it's and other very... cohort projects as well, you know, not just the the UK biobank, but it's certainly the buzz at ASHG every year. Sorry, it's go ahead. The, the, oh, definition, the definition of big data, right, is volume, it's velocity, and it's variety. So we have a big data problem, right? With you have whole yeah. genomes at scale, yeah. you've got whole 
transcriptomes at scale. We have whole epigenomes, and now we're going to overlay proteomes. You know, these are different types of data in large scale in multiple dimensions. Yeah, and, so the, and I think mm-hmm. I think that that back to Sarantis's comment about mass spec. I think that was the barrier. Maybe is that. Yeah. You know, mass spec, it's hard to get a lot of samples through under this sort of service wrapper conditions where you're mm-hmm. you're controlling variability and then and then feeding it into what you're talking about, Dale, a uh, um, uh, integrated uh, project with you know fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, ultimately yeah. you know half a million samples. Yeah. It's um, and we can't talk about mass spec as a monolithic item, right? Because of all yeah. the infinite amount of var- varieties of GC, LC, Tandem, Timstoff. I mean, you just go down the line in terms of everything from sample prep all the way through the technology, all the way through the analysis, bottom-up proteomics, top-down proteomics, and everything in between. (laughs) It it, it gets really complicated from uh, even the analytical chemistry side. Yeah. It's yeah. not about, absolutely not about analytic. It's really a lot of advancement also in the single cell proteomics based on mass spec, right? I mean, the single cell proteomics uh, protocols that are designed and done by mass spec nowadays. Uh, I think there are different questions and there are different uh, mm. scientific questions that you can get, and different answers from mass spec and uh, all link approach, PEA approach, and they can really nicely complement. And that's the, that's the beauty of science, right? That Isn't it? They are yeah. really nicely complemented and can take really nice and integrated information. So that's, that's yeah. for sure. That's for sure. Let's ride that tide right up. All, alas, this, all this great stuff. Alas, we just have a few minutes left. Is anybody going to ask me about my background? I can <sighs> ask you for your background. I wanted to ask you that Kyogen was, was your first, was your first uh, that was job my first. after this. That's correct. Well, before that, I was a manager of a small laboratory in Santa Monica. Uh, I worked for a PI, Dave Hoon. We worked on tumor immunology back in the late 90s when nobody worked on tumor immunology except for uh, uh, Don Morton there at the uh, John Wayne Cancer Institute in Santa Monica and then um, Rosenberg here at the NCI. Those were the (laughs) only two working on tumor immunology. And now... How Look at it now. Has. Wow. Yeah, you were a incredible. pioneer. Incredible. And then that, that time at Kyogen was fascinating because I started with uh, customer service, technical support, 1-800-DNA-PREP. And the manager of that department is Kirk Malloy, who ended up joining uh, yeah. Illumina at the yeah. end of 2002 and invited me to interview, invited me to take a tour. And I'll never forget the tour I had because he showed me the alligator the vacuum yeah. box in all of its 96 well glory. And this was Sarantis, their uh, secret sauce, Illumina's, the ability to make very inexpensive oligos at scale. That's, and so they yeah. developed this method, and Cindy's putting up <laughs> her little drawing. That's history, me. The piece of history. Yep. The piece glasses, of history of Illumina. Different haircut, you know. <laughs> look at the, 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 co- the coincidence of the fact that we're side by side. We're right next to each other in that. <laughs> yeah, so th- there, those were uh, kind of, like Cindy said, kind of scary days, right? Because it was a small company that had we already gone We had a lawsuit. Public. Remember there was a lawsuit over... A lawsuit. over- over intellectual property. Well, there are property. several lawsuits actually. There several was a lawsuits. there was yep. from another company, and I learned now that you know maybe that's a badge of honor sometimes, but I didn't know that then. I thought it I thought it was going to be you know yeah. the death of us. I yeah. you know I had no idea. And then there was a there was another lawsuit. I can't you know both of them ended up being you know just just indications of success. I think when we look yeah. back, yeah. but 
Yeah. 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 And so I think point. the secret sauce, right, was not just the right technology. Really, it's the people behind the technology. It's also the creative thinking of people behind the technology in terms of what are the critical things to work on? What is the critical fundamentals of the business to make it successful? And you know, I can say career-wise, right? I've, I've been in a lot of different genomics companies. It was 17 years from that time leaving Kyogen to coming back picture. to Olink. <laughs> and yeah, the 17 years in the in-between, so much I've learned in the genomics realm. And then now to bring it back home to proteomics, yeah, to bring it back to very close to common disease, very close to uh, uh, rare disease, very close mm. to uh, population health, very close to wellness, very close to aging. Do you realize the advances we've made in cancer have been remarkable because of a focus on therapeutics and prevention? Can you imagine doing the same thing to longevity and aging? to make yeah. similar advances and we're mm. on the edge of prevention, right? There's yes. the potential. Yeah. Yes. It's a remarkable times we're living in from the point of view of okay, pro measuring proteins at the scale that we're talking about can have true impact on cardiovascular disease like matters, matters of the heart, of the heart. Versus <laughs> as well as right population health with the UK Biobank like you mentioned yeah. Cindy what an amazing resource I mean yeah. what is it uh, 500,000 healthy individuals measured from 2006 onward yeah and not to, checking in go ahead not to forget or to, to close the loop you know we're right back with decogenetics right they're also yeah. uh, very engaged so what led you to industry Dale? I think what it was, was an opportunity. The opportunity to apply a lot of what I know as a scientist, a lot of what I value in terms of learning about science in a new way. And that is the combination of science with business. And it's fascinating, right? Some of my favorite classes as an undergraduate were in psychology. <laughs> and now I get to use that every day in a marketing role because I'm thinking about the psychology of buying behavior, the psychology of you know what messages resonate, the psychology of, okay, if somebody's searching for solutions uh, from a search engine, what terms do they use to find Olink proteomics? I mean, yeah. it's yeah. that's part of my day to day. Believe it or yeah. not, is understanding people's research. motivations. Yeah, back <laughs> yeah. to the people, right? Back to the people, and I that's think what's true. fun about the uh, holding a podcast and this pro, uh, proteomics and proximity is that we get to talk as people about science. We will interview people as scientists. We will go ahead and talk about papers that people have written, their conclusions, their ideas. And so it's, I think there's going to be a lot of fun to ha talk about sort of papers in the context of like a journal club. I think it'll also be really interesting to bring in guests. And certainly, Sarantis and Cindy, you have some ideas of who you'd like to bring on in this remote kind of uh, personal and intimate environment. And then we can just, the three of us, talk a lot about fish, or larva, <laughs> or what's it like to scuba dive in Nova Scotia or wherever it yeah. is you were, yeah. or maybe I, what's it yeah. like to work for one of the leading institutes in Germany there. 
on a true model organism from a true geneticist, no doubt, right? Yeah. And if we can give some perspective to maybe graduate students who are who are finishing up their PhD around ideas of what it's like to be in industry, I'd love to contribute to that as well. I'm pretty still pretty passionate about working with students. So. Great. That's a, well, again, people, right? People. Again, people. Well. <laughs> 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 we got to get that in there. We got to get that in there. All right. Well, until next time, take care, audience. Thanks take for care. joining. Thanks for All joining. Right. Thanks, See you Dale. Soon. Thanks, See you soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, brought to you by Olink Proteomics. To contact the hosts or for further information, simply email info at olink.com. Mm-hmm.